Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Zach Lamplew, the director of the clickbait mockumentary 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot, Number One Will Blow Your Mind, aka the best film title ever in existence. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, so before we do get into awesome title, can you take us back to the beginning? How did you get introduced to horror? Oh, man, through uh, definitely through other people's parents. <laughs> I actually, yeah, de- definitely through uh, like having to go to friends' households and stuff like that. Because I, I was actually so I've been, I've been asked recently a few times like about horror movies, you know, from when I was a kid and stuff. And, uh, I was trying to ask my mom about it for, for this podcast. I was like, which, was there anything that specifically like kept me up all night that I'm forgetting or something? And, uh, she was, we started just talking about horror movies and she was like, uh, what was the one that she said? She was like, oh yeah, horror movies like Shawshank Redemption. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I think that, I think you filed that under like American classics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's up there with like old yeller. It's not really a horror movie. But yeah. Everything she's, everything she said was like that. Like she was like, oh, why are we watching things like the green mile? And I was like, uh, I don't know what's wrong with you, but. So, so anyway, yeah, so, so yeah, then, then when I started thinking about it, I was like, yeah, we never really had, or just like she wouldn't allow it. You know what I mean? Like she wouldn't let us have any of that, but sleepovers and stuff, like hanging out at my friend's house, that was, we got to actually, you know, our, their parents would like let us rent horror movies and stuff like that. Okay. But slumber parties, slumber parties are great yeah. because they can introduce you to movies that your parents might not let you watch. So I, I can, I can relate to that completely. Uh, do you remember any of the films that you might have been introduced 
to oh, man. through those? Um, some of them were like classics and some of mm-hmm. them were like not. <laughs> <laughs> I remember watching The Hills Have Eyes. That was like Which really one? The, like the original one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember that was like really, really. See, that's what here's what's nuts about like these memories from when you're a kid is like sometimes the like trashier ones are actually more scarring or more oh, like. Yeah. yeah, like they were the ones that you couldn't sleep after or something you know like they, they were more haunting and then later when you go back and watch them as an adult you're like that movie doesn't really hold up <laughs> like oh yeah hills have eyes well i guess the one i'm thinking of too is cheaper creep cheapers creepers oh yeah uh, that one yeah I remember, I remember that one being like we can't even finish it it's so scary and now it's like i I've actually haven't seen it in a long time but i do remember revisiting that when i was like in my mid-20s and being like this this doesn't really hold up does it hold up and the director, am, I, am i wrong I, no. No, the oh. director's an absolute piece of pedophilic trash. That's oh, is he? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I he's a terrible, terrible human being. Yeah, he's terrible. But also the movie isn't that good anyway. So. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I, I know that you said that you, your mom didn't really allow a lot of horror movies, in, do you, but do you remember any, like, favorites you had growing up? Man, definitely. All right, so Thinner was one, which we mm. were we were oh, allowed to God. watch that because it was like Stephen King, I guess. Oh, interesting. I'm noticing a, yeah, I'm noticing yeah, yeah. a Stephen King connection here because uh, you mentioned Shawshank and the Green Mile and now Thinner. Yeah. 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 So we were allowed to watch Thinner and that one was really, really neat. I guess, you know, Stephen King, great author. I mean, like, all his stuff has like that, that particular movie had kind of like a monkey paw element to it, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. it has some really cool, like, creepy claymation effects, doesn't it? Am I wrong? It definitely has, like, gory effects where everybody's, like, spitting his guts up. But is any of that, like, that might just be rubber. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Uh, all I remember I is that it was a, a Tom Holland film. That's, like, yeah. literally all I remember about it. That in the cover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, so I remember, like, yeah, like, the rubber foam and claymation stuff just is spookier. You know what I mean? Or, like, when you're a kid, at least. Yeah, it's those. It's that kind of that visual style. I think that seems to like, it, or the more surreal nature of it, kind of. I think is what mm-hmm. a lot of times we've noticed kind of sticks in kids' minds for sure. I just always remember when I'm thinking about these movies, like because Jaws, Jaws and the and Poltergeist are two that really like destroyed me as a kid, and yeah. it's like. I rewatched them and I'm like, this is not how I remember them at all. I just remember them as like concepts, as like blurs and colors and stuff. So it's like, I don't mm-hmm. really know what's happening. I just have those terrifying, weird images in my head. And then you watch it and you almost laugh at Poltergeist. Like, not laugh, because yeah. Poltergeist is still pretty fucking scary. But like the effects are kind of funny and like the jelly coming off the guy's face. But like as a kid, you don't know the difference. And like that oh, yeah. kind of like blurred image is just kind of cemented in your brain as something that is like the pinnacle of fear. Mm-hmm. Now, I watched Poltergeist recently, and, like, it's it's still a good movie. Like, all mm-hmm. the characters That's... make sense, and everything's, like, everything is intriguing and everything like that. But the, the, the score, especially, I was like, ooh, just, like, so cheesy. So Spielberg-y, you know? Yeah. So Spielberg-y. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. sa- so, so much Save the Family, Spielberg. Yeah, yeah. It's so, the parts where you're like, oh, it's the Goonies. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but what other movie were you going to mention? Oh, what was I going to say? I think I was going to say Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice oh, my was, God. Yeah. Beetlejuice oh, had the, 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 the creepy, like, claymation worms and all that mm-hmm. business. Oh, my God, yeah. yes. Yeah. That and movie? I did that movie, I think, is just, just shaped me as a, as a child. <laughs> Beetlejuice yeah, did. when they, like, stretch their heads out and stuff like that. 
that's so creepy when you're a kid. Yes. Or when he's sitting next to the woman that's like cut in half in that in the like afterlife or the mm -hmm. person with the shrunken head on his big body. Like it's just those images that I haven't seen Beetlejuice in so many years, but those images just like jump out at me even now as an adult. Yeah. It, oh yeah. They, I just was just Googling it like a couple weeks ago and saw those and, uh, Man, yeah, like when you watch those scenes now on YouTube or something, it, it's like obviously played for laughs, you know? Mm -hmm. It's obviously like a joke for adults, but when you're a kid, it definitely gets in your brain. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Th mm -hmm. The part that actually scared me a lot in Beetlejuice was the shrimp hands. <laughs> like the yeah. part that's supposed yeah, yeah, to be yeah. hysterical when they're singing mm -hmm. and dancing and the hands grab their faces. I think I was just like so oh, my freaked God. out by the I, finger shrimp. I more totally than anything. forgot about those. You Until did? You, oh, my yes. God. The <laughs> best part of the movie. I was like, shrimp hands, what are you talking about? And then when he said to grab their face, I was like, oh, my God, it just had like a vivid, a vivid image of that. Yeah, that movie and then rocks. They, they, they giggle the high pitched giggle. They're like, hee, 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 hee. And it's, oh, anyway, like that <laughs> moment, obviously cemented in my brain. But yes. Who boy. It shouldn't be scary at all because the plot is like totally funny. Like, it's, you know. I guess when you're a kid, it feels unfortunate. You're like, they're dead. But like, that's so funny that two ghosts that aren't good at being ghosts. You know what I mean? They're like, they're yeah. bad at it. So funny. Yeah, so good. They put the sheets on thinking exactly, that they're being yeah. ghosts with the sheets. Perfect. It's the perfect movie. What else? Yeah. What I'm trying to think. Event Horizon was one that I remember watching as a kid. Man, that movie. Oh, boy. I think I saw that and on, on the other cable. end of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. I think I saw that on cable, though. Oh. A lot of these are, like, the ones that I did catch at home are also, like, a blur because, uh, you know, like, four hours long on TBS and filled with commercials. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, Event Horizon was also really, really good. Like, that's just such a good idea that, like, a spaceship could go to hell. <laughs> I, I can't imagine watching that one as, as a kid. I, I was trying to think when I saw it. I, I must have been in, in high school at that point when that came out. But man, that movie, could I could see that easily fucking up a kid for sure. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It me up now as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen it since I was a teen. I think I watched it a couple um, years ago again. And it's it's definitely still really fun. Like, or it's it's just such a such a fun, like premise like a spaceship that goes into warp drive that takes it to hell you know what i mean so good yeah. i love paul ws anderson so we talked about you liking felt like horror as a kid so but what draws you to the horror genre now as an adult as an what does i mean i guess i enjoy i mean every i think everybody as like a as a artist or like video creator like you enjoy playing off a mythology that kind of already exists you know what mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. yeah you, you enjoy that's what everybody wants to – that's what everybody does anyway with their movies. That's why, why superhero movies are so big right now because they can just be like, you guys know the rules to Superman, right? And then they just make a movie. You know, they, mm -hmm. they, they only have to take like five minutes to establish him. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess playing in that like genre space is like really, really uh, – you get to like play with other people's rules. You know what I mean? You get to be like, you guys know the rules to like vampires, right? Well, here's like kind of a goofy look at them or here's like a – different way to like imagine that world you're already familiar with mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. yeah so at least when it, when i wanted to make this movie which is like a horror comedy we were looking for something like that and we also we already lived in the south where like bigfoot is not as big i guess as in the pacific northwest but like there's definitely bigfoot researchers in the south and so 
we wanted to, we were like, well, that'd be like the perfect, you know, comedy horror vehicle using Bigfoot that every, you know, any kind of cryptid really, but like we settled on Bigfoot. Yeah. Like using a cryptid that, um, did you guys ever watch those like history channel documentaries as a kid? Oh yes. Oh yes. Zach, Zach, (laughs) we're going to talk about this, but I worked on a show called finding Bigfoot. So this is why I'm very, I'm very excited to talk to you because I have like an obsession with Bigfoot. So like we, oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I remember, like, watching all those, like, cold case files and unsolved mysteries. And then also, yeah, any, like, History Channel would do that kind of thing all the time. They would just do, like, a 30-minute documentary, like a fake doc, you know, like a little just put-together stock footage documentary about, like, the Jersey Devil or something. Yep. And, yeah, I would just, like, watch that stuff all the time. Wow. Uh, okay. Uh, before we <laughs> I say I want to I want to dive into Bigfoot since we're since we seem to be going into that direction. But before we do, one question I love to ask is do you still get scared watching horror f- films as an adult? Yeah. It's not often, but yeah. All right, that depends like Green Room super intense. Mm-hmm. Green Room okay. was like Yeah, yeah. such an intense movie. That was like such a jump jump scare kind of movie. Scary, scary. Okay. All right. I we we maybe it was because we were sleepy, but also you know we started the movie late, but we did revisit Sinister like a day later, like back when it first came out. We were like, you know what? Let's just not be creeped out tonight. Let's just go to bed. Sinister is is freaky. <laughs> yeah, Sinister scares the shit out of me, like still to this day. Okay, so we have talked about your horror life, but Zach, can you tell us about your New movie, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot, number one will blow your mind. Okay, so 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot is a movie about a journalist who works at a, like one of these clickbait out, outlets like uh, Vice, BuzzFeed, Refinery29, any one of these, copy paste any of these. <laughs> and um, <laughs> he, but he, oh, so he works in, he's a journalist, but he always wanted to, you know, cover more meaningful stories, you know, cover like, what he what he deems like actual news but he mm-hmm. is currently pigeonholed in having to cover you know i went to burning man and here's what it's really like i spent a week with nudists and here's you know what that's like and his latest assignment is to go spend a week with bigfoot hunters and report back on what the experience is like so he's already kind of pissed off that he has to go cover like another puff piece, human interest thing that he thinks is a waste of his time. But then when he gets there, he f- discovers that Bigfoot might be real and that this might be the biggest story he's ever stumbled upon. OK, so I, I do have a question because I saw this yeah. back at Chattanooga last year. And at the time, it was the vice guide to to Bigfoot. Uh-huh. And I'm guessing that it, it was a legal reason to change the name. Oh, no, no, no. It's just preference. <laughs> no, no, no. It's definitely it highly illegal <laughs> to be to be calling ourselves vice. Uh, but I do have a question. Did you have to record, re-record the dialogue? Because um, I, I noticed rewatching it for the podcast uh, that you know it's now compound. So did you have to record, re-record the dialogue? No, we. So actually, we. Uh, there's only three or four times that they mentioned it in mm-hmm. the show, in like coming out of an actor's mouth in dialogue. And so when we shot the movie, we had him do it both ways. Okay. And then I just subbed it back out. And then uh, the rest of the mention of the news organization is all graphics. Right. So I just kind of changed all that out, all the graphic design. Unfortunate. I wish we'd. Uh, I wish we'd uh, put it out just as the vice guy to Bigfoot and just see what happens. <laughs> I mean, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> 
Yeah. Okay. Okay, though. So you have picked a, f- a, f- a favorite topic of mine, which is cryptids. And yes. so why why did you want to do a film about Bigfoot, first of all? Bigfoot? Well, I mean, like I said, all right, if you got to go with the cryptid, I mean, he's he's the guy, right? Or he, he is the he guy. Or he she, is the OG. You know, is, is, the, is number one in the cryptid world. Like I said, we want to do something that had, like, kind of a southern feel to it and also kind of goofy character. Like, we wanted to have kind of a goofy guide character and... Yeah. If, if if you I mean you have spent time with Bigfoot hunters. I think Bigfoot hunters are very serious about it, but they have a sense of humor, right? Like they definitely For the most part, yes. Yeah, I I'm now part of several Bigfoot researcher Facebook groups and there's definitely a pretty strong meme culture going on. Even amongst people that are real researchers that like spend time in the woods hunting Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. They definitely have a meme culture. And uh so yeah, so we wanted to do something that that we could like kind of be goofy with, but could also be a real threat, you know? Like an actual yeah. scary monster. I'm trying to think of all the questions I have for you. Okay. <laughs> you have any more? So I so we we met a lot of Bigfoot researchers too if you have any I was gonna say what was it like Bigfoot? meeting meeting all the Bigfoot researchers? Oh, because so I I did social media for the show Finding Bigfoot a couple years ago when I was first starting out. And I got really into Bigfoot because I thought it was so fun. I like the show. It's for Animal Planet. So like it doesn't make much sense. But I was like, this show is so goofy, but fun. And it's cryptids and it's spooky. And I got so into it because I just like Bigfoot's cool. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know if he's real or not, but like it's a cool it's a cool thing. And like the, the folklore behind Bigfoot and like the culture stuff that has come from Bigfoot is absolutely fascinating. So I'm just always so fascinated when there are movies about Bigfoot and how the idea is like interpreted into films. And I like that you had like you talked to a Bigfoot researcher, and like you said, you've talked to tons of Bigfoot researchers yeah. in, ter- in getting ready for this project. So that uh, that scene in the movie where uh, they go to a Bigfoot festival—that's a real Bigfoot festival. <laughs> I was gonna say, is that a real? I was gonna wow. ask if that was a real Bigfoot festival. We actually, festival, went, I know we actually like- went to one, and uh, we thought maybe we would use footage of actual researchers. So we did. Uh, Brian did some interviews in character. And we recorded it, and then we just didn't use it. It just didn't really fit, you know. But we we talked to several researchers from everywhere, from, like, Kentucky to Florida to Georgia to North... That that festival was in North Carolina. Yeah, so we we met quite a few people. And actually, I had a guy that... uh, Man, here's something that all Bigfoot researchers do, is they... They volunteer evidence, like when you're not asking for it. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah, there was a. I had a dude actually who uh, he he was nice enough to read the script before we even shot it because I was trying to just make sure, like, hey, oh. we're not. Yeah, I wanted to make sure, like, hey, we're not like uh, misinterpreting anything, like the way that knocking works or the way that like Bigfoot hunting works. Like, I want to make sure it's all correct. He, he read it and then he like called me and I was, I think I was only asking about like two or three scenes. And then he called me and he was like, he was like, Hey, real quick, pull up your, uh, pull up your YouTube. And I was like, okay. And then I pulled it up and he was like, yeah, look up the great North tape. And then I looked it up and I like watched it. And then he was like, I just think probably you should include that evidence in your movie. And I was like, <laughs> I, it's not really what I was asking, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> it was like a My 15- movie is not about proving the existence yeah, of Bigfoot. Exactly. But okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that was like 
15 minutes later. Like it was like a 10, 10 or 15 minute conversation about the great North tape. And then he was like, I just think this could be really useful. And I was like, that's I don't hilarious. think you understood the meaning of this phone call. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. So yeah. I am just reminiscing now because you have had this experience with Bigfoot researchers. So for work, I went Bigfooting cause I thought it'd be fun to go Bigfooting. And, uh, was it, it was actually, it was interesting. Um, I sat in the dark in the woods for like three hours and did nothing. But the the woman who I went with was a very kind person. She was yeah. very nice, very kind. I was worried I was going to get killed in the woods just on the the concept of going out to look for Bigfoot alone in the middle of the woods where I live <laughs> with a stranger. Um, yeah, that's sort of a horror horror movie, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But okay, so. Bigfoot, you also have done something besides Bigfoot that I love, and it's found footage slash the mockumentary format, which is like another one of my big favorites in horror. So what what brought you to wanting to create this kind of mockumentary, pseudo-documentary style for this film? Yeah, so we had we had made a bunch of shorts before. We we used to run a short film like competition every month, and we used to make shorts for mm. it and stuff, and folks would come out. And watch all the new stuff we made every month. It was, it was, it was a great time. But uh, we started making a series of shorts that were uh, making fun of Vice. <laughs> and it was actually inspired because <laughs> Vice Vice did a show called Flophouse. Have you heard of this? It's it's like a show about stand-up oh, comedians. I yes. think I have. I've never watched it, though. But... A bunch of my peers, because we all did stand-up comedy, and a bunch of my peers were beginning to, like, get opportunities to be on vice and then oh. Flophouse came and did an episode where like they they got to be on vice as like part of a stand-up thing but it was like so fake it was so everybody the the set was so fake the it was supposed to be about like comedians living in squalor but they they made the place look amazing it was like if, you, if you've ever been on like a reality show set it was like that and everybody was True, like they they just kind of did what a reality show does, where they just they got everybody drunk and everybody acted like an ass on television. <laughs> like everybody that I thought had a shred of dignity, like turns out had none in the matter of a couple of hours and a few beers. Uh, were, were we getting off? Oh yeah, I we just thought it was funny though to make sketches mocking Vice directly because everybody that was around us was like so eager to like kiss their ass to get a TV show. <laughs> we were yeah. like, you know what? Let's just like, let's just bite the nearest hand that could feed us. And, um, <laughs> so we, we started making these sketches. What was, one of them was called, uh, one of them was Brian basically doing the same character he's doing now. And it was, <laughs> it was him. At, I'm trying to remember the, the opening monologue. It's like him walking down the street and he's he's like he's like I'm an atheist, but I'm also spiritual. And then he uh, and then the the tagline of the show, like the title was, uh, but if there's one thing I do know, it's this. It's it's that Vice will put me on television. And then it's like a screen cap of him, and it's a screen cap of six other guys who really have shows on Vice, and they all look the same. Because <laughs> <laughs> Vice has like Vice Vice has like a. Uh, there's it's funny that you you say like the vice host and i think of like i don't even know anyone's name there's just like yeah. a very specific aesthetic and like yep. tone of voice yeah that, we used to watch uh, the vice news yep. on hbo and like later be like what was the the thing where they were talking about the research was that the the woman with glasses or the guy with glasses <laughs> like they all blend together 
They have uh, a lot of tattoos. I can't he, really talk shit because I look like a lot of those people, but I can laugh at myself. <laughs> the other one that we made was uh, another friend of mine who's like a little bit like schlubbier. He was his thing was like, I'm Joel Ruiz and I'm too high for this. And so it, it was just him being it was him kind of doing like an action Bronson kind of vibe or like, you know, they give oh, a lot yeah. of rappers TV shows. And it's every time he was about to like bring the guests on, he would be like, but first I got to roll one up. And then he would smoke and then forget where he was. Like it would come back to, from him smoking. He's like, I don't I don't know where I am. <laughs> Off to off to send him to you guys. <laughs> oh my god, it's hilarious. Sorry, it's just, hi. I'm. St- I have no fucking idea what I'm doing. That yeah. that is what I. Whenever I watch those shows, I always laugh. I'm like, how are you guys that high and know what you're doing? Like, there's absolutely no way. Like, that's, yeah, it's just. But yeah, so anyway. so we kind of we kind of got into a into a rhythm with our, uh, and we'd kind of got into a rhythm before that with making fun of. Like whether it's cooking shows or HGTV type shows, like if you can imitate, oh. you, you, it's, you can really like have fun imitating exactly what the, the the templates look like and the hosts act like and shit like that. And if you can, if you can really nail the uh, cinematography of it, like it gives it another level of being funny. It's like doing a good impression. Like if someone's really good at impressions, yes. it makes it way easier to be funny. I know exactly what you're talking about, because when you start watching, um, I there was a time where I was just like binge watching a bunch of YouTube cooking shows and the format, the same, like the way everything is shot is the same. It really I can I can definitely see where that that kind of comes from, for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's like a new way of editing that's like it's it's been really stealthy because it Mm -hmm. mostly snuck in with like. You know, it started with, like, kind of hipster YouTube stuff through, Mm -hmm. like, Vimeo, and then now it kind of crept through, like, corporate, and now it's starting to make its way onto television, too. Not not completely, because there's still definitely, like, reality TV that doesn't look like like hipster documentary stuff. But, yeah, there's, like, a whole way of just... And, and yeah, it all kind of came up through, like, I think, like, Vimeo, where every every time they cut to B-roll, it's, like, a rack focus or something too close. You don't know what the hell you're looking at. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, uh, I can see that aesthetic right. right away. Exactly. Yep. Well, <laughs> sorry, I'm just <laughs> sorry. thinking no, about. You're good. No, I'm just amazing. Um, okay, so Zach, we have talked about your mil- your your film, your film movie again, guys. I can't talk. Um, <laughs> Zach, we've talked about your film and your horror history, but what film are we discussing today, Zach? We are talking about Alien. Finally, Finally. We have been so excited to talk about this film. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen Alien, please go watch it. But so after a space towing vessel receives an unknown transmission as a distress call, one of the crew is attacked by a mysterious life form, and they soon realize that its life cycle has merely begun. Dun 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 dun. dun. Okay, Zach, tell us your horror story about alien when you first saw it what terrified you tell us everything it's so creepy because it's it's body horror but it's um it's body horror and it's like but it's slow it's like a i I remember as a kid just like having to contemplate like what would happen if you got infected with one of those things you know i mean like that's what's so creepy about it is being Mm -hmm infected but it's not like i guess it's not like a zombie thing because you know you're gonna die and it's gonna like you're a host for a nasty bug thing 
and I just remember like being creeped out by this movie as a kid. Sorry, I don't have any more details. <laughs> I just remember like the body horror creeping me out. Everything's like wet and dripping. You know, it's so. How do you remember how old you were when you first saw it? I was. Like, do you remember about, the first time you watched Alien? I was probably eleven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember how you how you ended up seeing it? Because I know you, you said that your mom doesn't didn't typically allow a lot of horror movies. Yeah, I don't know house. why we were allowed to watch this one. Um, yeah, no, we. I just remember we we might have rented it, or we. I just remember I remember watching it when we were in our house in Florida. I even remember like we were eating something with uh, we were eating sandwiches that had pickles on them, and like I still think about pickles for some reason with this movie, which is a Whoa. weird weird place to be. <laughs> but... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I do. I, do I remember love that just, though. Right when you associate something like that, like the yeah, something so nice with something so gross. Yeah, I, I have that same reaction. Pickles too. are the gross thing, by the way. What? <laughs> oh, what? I no, fuck I'm off! Kidding. I love pickles. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. My friends were just having a discussion in our group chat about how pickles were gross and how I'm not going to be their friend anymore because I love pickles so much. <laughs> I think I think gross things become better when you're an adult. <laughs> All of a sudden, when you're That's older, true. all of a sudden when you're older, you're like, yeah, put pickles and blue cheese together, and like, I mean, mm. <laughs> and like, I do eat, I do eat Brussels sprouts like, with a frightening regularity now exactly. as an adult. So, yeah, Ugh, anyway. <laughs> That's one I can't. That's one I can't do. <laughs> really? Yeah. Hmm. They're good. It tastes I don't like dirt. If, I don't know if I'll be able to convince what? you, but they're good. <laughs> if you like, if you put them at a like, good amount of seasoning and like. Like, if you, uh, if you cover but, up the flavor not, not, of Brussels, Brussels not sprouts, bake them, but like when you when you like you put them in the oven and they sit at like four hundred and they get all crispy and stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I've never actually done good. that at the house, but I had that for the first time a couple of years ago at a friend's house because my parents always Ooh. just like bake them and they just kind of come out like wet little slime balls. But uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. But then like baked and crispy, oh, so good. So, like, oh my chips. god, I have an air fry. I have an air fryer now because. Of course, I'm at that point in my life where I have an air fryer, and I want to try to make them in the air fryer and get them oh, all like super duper idea. crispy. I've also got an air fryer, <laughs> but that's this is a thing for a different podcast. <laughs> yeah, so this, is, this is a cooking podcast now, everybody. Yeah, right. where we talk about Brussels sprouts and foods that gross us yeah. out as children. We're complicated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're 11 years old. You you, <laughs> you maybe rented this film. Do you? Do, do you yeah. remember particular scenes at all, or was it just the, the sort of overall kind of tension of the film? Just the overall tension of the film. Uh, yeah, and, and you know what? Actually, I think we might have watched both in the same night, the Alien and Aliens. Oh, wow. Because I do remember the scene where the, the kids were like, kill me, kill me. You know, I remember that. That was mm-hmm. like, that was super creepy. Yeah, just it's kind of like a zombie, but... I don't know if it has a different time limit. No, I don't know. I don't know what's different about it, but it feels creepier than being a zombie, doesn't well, it? it? Yeah, yeah, because it's yeah. like it's like there's the idea that you have infection like with a zombie, but then what comes out of you is a completely sentient and intelligent being. Like you're mm, being hunted. Yeah. Like with, I feel like with zombies you're being hunted, but they're very mindless. There isn't as much of a like intelligence to them as more of like a hunger. But with the xenomorphs. They are like intelligent beings that are hunting you on purpose and like hiding and that kind of thing. Like you don't know where they are because they mm-hmm. are. Yeah, they're somehow an apex trying. predator. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. But then they lay eggs in you. Oh, so they lay so eggs disgusting. In you. They... Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh my god. 
just yeah watching the chest bursters uh just watching yeah watching that guy stuck up against the wall and aliens and it and then like begging begging to die i have a very specific memory of this film and it's one of the reasons why oh boy. the moment that uh you said you were interested in talking about this film i was so excited because i have wanted to talk about this film ever since we started the podcast like two over two years ago <laughs> yeah okay so i was eight years old this was the first R-rated film that I had ever seen. I had grown up on 50s sci-fi, you know, Flying Saucers, the sort of mm -hmm. like Day the Earth Stood Still, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. Like, I had a specific view of what aliens were, and it was a flying saucer with either like some kind of robot or some kind of cheap-looking creature that was going to come out of it. And it was safe. And so I thought that that's what this movie yeah. was about. Mm-hmm. And I remember when my parents said, hey, you want to see a really scary movie? We're going to watch Alien tonight. And I was like, OK, that sounds great. And I spent the day at a very active imagination. And I spent the day imagining like, OK, so there's going to be a flying saucer and it comes down and there's going to be an alien coming out. <laughs> like, this is what little eight-year-old me was thinking. And my parents knew how terrifying the film was because they had introduced a bunch of their friends to it. And they'd always gotten the same reaction with this particular scene. So I'm watching this film with them and I'm like... This is this is not this is not what I what I thought this was going to be. And then we get to the dinner scene when the alien bursts out of Kane's chest. And I remember I have this this vivid memory of me staring at the screen with like my I'm pretty sure that like all the blood had drained out of my face. And I was just like staring at it like wide eyed and terrified. My parents looking at me with this like horrifying grin on their face of like <laughs> we scared him. <laughs> oh, my God. And yes. And then my parents were like. Are you okay? And I just remember like shaking my head back and forth. No. And you're like, <laughs> do you want to stop? And I remember nodding up and down. And so we stopped that movie that night. I had the most vivid nightmares that entire oh, night. God. And I was I was so terrified of this film. And so this is where I started doing something, though, because you brought up watching Alien second. And so I. After watching that film, I would I would start to watch if a movie scared me, I would immediately try to go watch the sequel. And so I remember watching Aliens and I remember that that moment you're talking about, about the woman that's cocooned in the wall and she's like, kill me. And it didn't bother me because I was already like, OK, it's going to burst out of it. I'm OK mm -hmm. with this. Mm -hmm. And so I remember watching Aliens and being like, OK, I can handle this. And then eventually going back and watching the first Alien. But I'll tell you what, that first moment of that film, just like blew my fucking mind as a kid yeah you're 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 probably onto something with the fact that it's so different from other alien movies up to that point you know what i mean that it that it would be a an alien that's more of like a uh an animal you know yeah it's less of like an intelligent yeah. creature and just like an animal parasite I remember that when when the ship is because we're first introduced to this Nostromo and it's like zooming across the vast reaches of space and it looks it kind of is a scene that kind of is reminiscent of like Star Wars, except that this ship looks busted and it looks alien mm -hmm. itself. I mean, it's basically like a giant oil rig that's floating in space. And I remember seeing that and going, thinking that that was the alien ship immediately and not realizing that there was actually human beings on this thing because it looked so different from anything that I had ever expected aliens to be or an alien movie to be. Yeah, it's super, super dark. It's just the whole I, – I, I just recently watched it again and it's like – it's the – all the – frames are so dark and everything like every every shot is dark it's like super dark and sticky 
Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that like, uh, uh, upon the last reviewing of this, I was like, why is there just a part of the ship that just drips? You know what I mean? Like they're, they're in that, uh, it's where the one guy gets eaten and the cat is there and the cat like hisses. He's like in a part yeah. of the ship That's where the, like, yeah, the water's like it, dripping it, on his face and stuff. And I was like, what is there yeah, like an air conditioning f- unit above him or like what's going on? <laughs> Yeah, because I remember because that's the part where there's like the chains coming down yeah. and he's by himself and it's one of the first like big on screen death moments. Mm-hmm. And I that moment it goes on for so long too. like it is such a, such a like suspenseful thing of him walking through those chains and the water and being and like you said, where the hell is this water coming from? This doesn't feel right in a ship to have water just yeah. like dripping in space water just like falling down so it's this creates this really weird atmosphere and yeah and what do those chains do (laughs) like like they open a garage door what the hell's going on in this ship it feels more like a warehouse like most of this movie feels more like they're in like an abandoned warehouse or something that's something I have I deal with a lot when watching sci-fi movies in these giant ships. I just have no concept of scale, and I just don't understand like how big they are, how small they are, like where things are in a giant spaceship like that. Like I just don't have any concept of the layout and like where things are and what a ship is supposed to be like. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. just the size baffles me, and the construction of spaceships baffles me. I think I do, but I also think that that's sort of. Um... I think that's the the purpose of this particular one is that it feels sort of maze-like. It feels sort of, I I mean, it's an industrial in the way that like an oil rig would be industrial. And I think that that is probably some of the, the way that it's, it's trying to tie us into, yes, this is in space, but yes, we can still scare you because there are things in it that would be on earth or would be like reminiscent of everyday life on earth for, for people, particularly for blue collar workers working in that kind of environment. Oh my god, blue collar workers in this movie. Well, and there's that there's this one of the scene, my favorite moments in this movie. It's so it's like very quiet, but it's when he takes off his hat and starts drinking the water that's dripping off the ceiling. And it's like this moment of like quiet, almost relaxation. It's like he's done this before. It's kind of he's taking like a quick break and then he is rendered helpless. And what I love about that, though, too, is that up until that point, uh, this is and this is why the movie keeps surprising is that first we have the face hugger and then that changes into this little worm like thing that bursts out of his chest. And so at this point, we're not expecting a big thing. He's not expecting a big thing. He's expecting some kind of like mm-hmm. little worm creature. And then all of a sudden, when it descends behind him, it's like this giant insect weird creepy thing and it's it, it it's the way the film continues to like surprise us mm-hmm. yeah it it yeah i mean like i guess i wasn't alive when this came out but like going into this there's no way you could have guessed that uh that escalation of like what no. these creatures are like you said you know what i mean like you expect it to be you know aliens they come down a little saucer <laughs> but then you know they <laughs> they look like a crab and they lay eggs in you and then it's yeah, like you said, it becomes like a little one foot tall thing that then becomes something, you know, that's huge, like the size of like a lion or something. And then it has a mouth inside of its big mouth. Like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then it has and then it has acid, acid slobber, <laughs> acid blood, acid blood, not acid slobber. Pardon me. Yes. So how old were you when you saw this, Mary Beth? I have no idea. Um, 
I know that I this is one of the like the movies that my dad really wanted to show me when I was a kid because my dad is a big horror movie person and he wanted to show me all the classics and make sure I had seen like all the really good movies and I hadn't seen this one yet. I was I remember watching it in a certain apartment so I was under the age of 13. Okay. And I had seen Predator first, and I had somehow seen Alien versus Predator already. So <laughs> I had seen Alien versus Predator before I had seen Alien. Um, uh. So that's <laughs> upsetting on for a variety <laughs> of reasons. But is this where I your, your love watched... of Paul W. S. Anderson comes from? It, you know, it might just fucking be because I really liked <laughs> Alien versus Predator. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I had no concept of the, the franchise, so I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun. But then I saw Alien for real and was blown the fuck away. I loved it. I don't even remember being that terrified of it, but I just remember being so tense the whole time. Like, I didn't relax the entire time mm-hmm. watching it. And I think yeah. that was one of the first times I remember that happening, of me just being so uncomfortable the entire time. And literally being on the edge of my seat. I mean, that's that's also amazing because when you think about it, it's a two-hour movie, and the 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 chest bursting, the actual like alien stuff, doesn't even really happen until almost an hour into this film. So the the first sixty minutes of this film is, I mean, yes, there's the, the face hugger and there's that kind of stuff, but like it's more about that kind of creeping tension that I can, I, I, some, I think some kids might get bored by. So I'm, I, I'm always fascinated when I, when I hear that, you know, this two hour movie that is slower than a lot of movies are paced today can like terrify kids uh, across generations. Cause I mean, I was seeing this in the eighties and you were probably seeing this in the nineties, right? Me? Yes. Yeah. And you Mary Beth? I was probably? seeing it in, in the two, in the two thousands, oh, in the two thousands, like early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually went back and watched, uh, all the well, I watched. Yeah, I think I watched part of Resurrection. I turned that off, but um, I, uh, <laughs> these were these were all on HBO Max like six months ago. So we watched all of them. Oh yeah, and, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I have a fresh uh, uh, taste of all of them again. And then I watched the first one just like last week for this podcast. And uh, the only note I took was okay. So Alien was obviously like, the best one. <laughs> I stopped taking notes. <laughs> I just went back to look at my notes now. All I wrote was Alien's the best one. <laughs> yes. But, I agree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the second one agree. is like very, except for that one scene we're talking about, it's mostly action. It's mostly like action for little kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and so like this is like a slasher movie in yeah. space with an alien. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a monster in the house with you movie. Mm-hmm. It's great. <laughs> but I, but Terry, Terry, like you brought up the fact that there's an hour before the alien happens, and I always forget that they go to that planet. Like they go yeah. to the, they're going, they're an oil rig, oil rig, not an oil rig. Shit, what is it? Oil, uh, What's the resource? Is it oil? Tanker. It uh, is oil, isn't it? That, well, they're a towing it's, vehicle. But it, towing I mean, vehicle. Okay. Yeah, it's it's containing I was to twenty million tons of some mineral oil or ore. They never really explain mm-hmm. what okay. it is, but 
so it, they're like blue collar workers, basically, mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. some of them are blue collar workers. They're bringing resources back to Earth, and then they have to go to. It's like, oh, there's a planet. It's a person in distress. You have to go find it. And they're all like, we don't know how to do this. Like we're just yeah. And they're like, we don't want to do it. <laughs> they're like, no, Fuck that. well, especially the, like the blue collar workers come into this too when they're like, I don't get paid to do this. Like I mm-hmm. get this amount of credits for this work. I'm not going overtime, which yeah. is I not until I was in grad school when I watched this, like understood really like how intense this film is about like the use of the human body as a cog in the machine and how disposable they are. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's this really, these two characters, the only black character, and then there's the um, older white character who is coded as kind of like a redneck mm-hmm. who basically just like begging to be given like the bare minimum, like, please just pay us. And they're the yeah. only ones that are like, this is dumb. Like we shouldn't be doing this. We're not getting paid to do it. Why is this our job? Like, yeah, exactly. no. <laughs> Cause Parker says, this is a commercial ship, not a rescue ship. It's not in my contract mm-hmm. to do this type of, this kind of duty. And there's this focus on, on the shares and, and the monetary, uh, payment for i'm trying to my mind just like took a total shit uh there's this <laughs> focus on like on on money because you can kind of get this feeling that there is a definite even among this this small ship of of very small number of people there is a definite hierarchical structure here where you have the people that are running the ship and then you have the two engineers that are somehow tasked i what's amazing to me is that they're somehow tasked to keep this entire ship that is obviously ginormous keep it running Mm -hmm. and that's yeah that's amazing to me that is another thing with these movies where it's like a very small number of people on a very large ship and i'm like is that reasonable to think that that many people can keep that big of a vessel running but i, I mean capitalism <laughs> it's, it's cheaper true. to like have two people and that ship the Nostromo looks... is capitalism the there Nostromo is capitalism <laughs> the ship looks that ship looks fucking janky it looks like it's been right it's been to like hell and back speaking of event horizon um <laughs> I, I just it, it's it's interesting to me as an adult watching this now and seeing that this the way that there's like a careless disregard for the two engineers' position, even with Ripley, because in that conversation, when they're when they're talking, she's like, yeah, you'll get what's coming to you. And then she's like, when they're arguing, she kind of puts them in their place by saying, if you need anything, I'll be on the bridge, which is obviously not where they're allowed because they're just the engineers. So there's even our hero is kind of putting these two in their place, so to speak. Yeah, there's a definite, like, like, like you said, like a hierarchy of who's allowed to do what. And, and then, yeah, when she tries to like, when she tries to keep them off the ship because they might be contaminated, like the, the company man gets to allow them on, you know, and he's like, yeah, I violated protocol. So what? That scene, watching it in COVID America takes on quite a different meaning. <laughs> where I, Ripley... I really hate how many movies have completely taken on new meaning with COVID. I'm just like, I hate that this feels so relevant to my current <laughs> life. <laughs> well, and I love the way that, you know, she's rationally like, obviously, okay. So the situation with, with Dallas, Kane and Lambert, when they're coming back and they're, they're dragging Kane's body and there's something attached to his head. Like you can kind of, see there there's sort of like fear of the situation they're stuck outside in this incredibly harsh environment like when we're introduced to lv well what eventually is called lv 426 where everything like the rain is literally like pieces of debris falling down on them mm-hmm. it is not a pleasant place and they're stuck out there so you can kind of understand their you know their their fear they don't know what's going on and the way that ripley sort of takes charge and is like 
If we let them on the ship, it could be infected. You know the quarantine procedure, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And they're like arguing with her. And she's like, yes, I hear you. The answer is negative. Like there, it's such an, uh, an interesting kind of dichotomy between the two. And then, of course, like you said, the company man uh, just sort of like lets them on. Callous disregard for yeah. anyone's life. Yeah, I didn't even I didn't even really I guess think about that. Well, no, I guess I did, but it just the the hierarchy yeah, is definitely very very clear. Um, the the whole time that they're on that planet, though, the whole time you're just like, just get out of there. Like even <laughs> though there's no there's no alien yet, you're like, just leave. It's such a like haunted house feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes, just, probably oh just because it's yes. like rainy and shit, but uh, <laughs> it's just windy. You're like, just get in the ship. But it's also just like the vibe too, the score and the sound design of this mm-hmm. movie. Like and those creepy in this... forerunner skeletons or whatever those things are called. Oh, the Prometheus yes. guys. Yeah, the the I think everyone oh, yes. referred to them as like the space jockeys in this. Is that what they are? Well, that's what everyone mm-hmm. like used to call them before like Prometheus came out and kind of flipped the switch on on what they were. But I remember everyone's like, "What is the space jockey?" And I'm like, "What the hell are you talking about?" But they they're referring to the big. The big skeletal dude that's like it's so awe-inspiring the the set design in this film and that that scene in particular I remember as a kid going what am i i don't even know what i'm looking at and of course you're watching it yeah back then i was watching it on i think on a beta tape it was either beta or vhs so you know the quality is terrible it's not like nowadays i have i popped in when i rewatch is my 4k restoration of the film and it's like you can see things that you didn't but I remember at that, that time, it's sort of like this blurry image on this, you know, old CRT and being like, what am I even looking at? <laughs> and like when I was when I was younger and watched it, I like didn't even fucking think about it. Like, isn't that fun? Like, you watch this movie yeah, when you're a kid and like the things you latch onto, pun intended, with the skin hugger, the skin hugger, face hugger. But like, <laughs> you don't appreciate these things as much. And like the another thing that just popped into my mind in terms of scenes that really like i appreciate now is when they're all waking up from the cryo sleep and they're in their beds and all of like all of a sudden all of the um but it's just like it's beautiful like even just this quiet moment of people waking up in these pods it's just like everything is so beautifully constructed to make you feel very specific way and it's Mm -hmm. just a gorgeous masterclass in like this creating of emotion and creation of horror through not only the cinematography, but just like this tight set design. <laughs> <laughs> tight, yeah. creepy Toy. set design. Noise. <laughs> <laughs> but so, uh, but I kind of want to talk more about the, the, the breakfast table scene because obviously that's the iconic scene where John Hurt is dis- expels a being from the inside mm-hmm. out and they are eating space Cheerios at, and smoking and <laughs> at stuff. Smoking. I, I was like, all right. Another like quick side note. I love it in these breakfast scenes, like or like these scenes in ships in the future, and they're all eating Cheerios and smoking cigarettes. And you watch them now, and you're like, ah, the future. I love that this vision of the future <laughs> was very colored by 1970s expectations. But yeah, anyway, they're all like this is a moment where they're all equal. Like they're all sitting at a table yeah. together, eating and laughing, and it's this one moment of like kind of equality with everybody. They're all breaking fast together. They're all laughing. He's finally like awake and they aren't scared anymore and it's this very brief joy and then all of a sudden just like the crack of the ribs and this horrible screaming from john hurt and like on the table and then the moment when it pushes through and the blood spurts out and everyone just stops like yelps Mm -hmm. and stops oh my god it is such a well like 
choreographed moment. I love that it kind of it gives us a moment to like process what's going to happen along with the people that are watching. So they have him on the table and all of a sudden his shirt turns red and there's like blood erupts. Everyone freezes and they're staring at him and like, wait, what just happened? And it's like this beat that allows the audience to, to like process briefly what happened. And then it goes full horror with, he just starts struggling again and they're holding him down again. And then it, that's when it leaps out of his chest and covers them all in blood. And poor Lambert is looking on with the most horrific, horrified expression I've, I've, I've seen in, in a movie. I think that's like, feels real. Uh, but I yes, I love the way that 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 whole sequence is is constructed. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, the also the scene when the uh, the the company man who turns out to be a cyborg attacks, and then they put him back together. Yeah. You know, what I mean, they put him back together oh, to uh, to talk milk. to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's such like a it's such a it was such a weird thing to see as a kid. You know, what I mean to 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 because it's not it's not particularly scary i guess but it's so like gross it's i guess it's kind of scary to see a a disembodied head talking to you and stuff (laughs) i you know okay so i again when i when i first watched this movie i never got to that that part where they where they introduced really that ash is an android because i stopped literally at the at the dining scene where it bursts out of his chest and so i remember watching the sequel and and being introduced to uh, to Bishop and he's like sitting there with, you know, poking his skin and there's like the milky substance coming down his, his finger. And then he ends up being a good guy. And I remember being so confused about that because I hadn't been introduced to the fact that Ash was an android in the original film. And then watching this again, when I finally went back to watching this scene, that sequence grossed me the fuck out because it's yeah. so it's so milky. It's so. Yeah, it's so. Seminal, Seminal. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> fucking the goo. It just adds on to like the gooey body fluids of this movie, and it's just like sexually nasty <laughs> m- man milk. Sorry, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. <laughs> well, and Oops. he he attacks Ripley with another form of almost like sexual assault, mimicking the alien because he's he winds up the newspaper and he, or I guess it's a newspaper a magazine and starts like yeah. stuffing it down her throat. It's like he's kind of taking on the characteristics of the alien and doing what he can do to to basically assault her. And it's it's such an upsetting scene. I remember being really confused about that scene in the, as as a kid, being like, I don't get what what is going on here and why this is so upsetting but it upset me as a, as a kid yeah and then it's so it's such a crazy reveal when when uh what's his face uh uh sorry i'm so bad at names <laughs> when, when he when he hits his head off yeah when he like knocks his head clean off and then you find such a strange like oh i didn't see that coming yeah, yeah, it's there's so many moments like that in, the, in this in this film of like it feels like firsts. Like there's a lot of firsts in this film. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was gonna say like this is the first film I remember seeing where it was that specific kind of android is the person reveal, and I I feel like that happens a lot more now. But that was the first like yeah, holy shit! Like people can be constructed to look like people, but actually be villains and can be part of that capitalistic machine that just wants to ser- serve the purposes of of the corporation. And it's so funny watching this movie and forgetting that like we didn't know it was called Wayland Utani when this first came out. They weren't xenomorphs when this first came out. Mm-hmm. There were so many like lore aspects that 
got built up over the franchise and now you watch it and you're like, oh yeah, they didn't have a name for any of this stuff. Which is really interesting to think about in the development so, of Alien. And it's so different from the way that, that people construct a franchise anymore, you know? Right? Well, and that's what it's like. It is so like kind of refreshing to go back and see that. And it's not like a huge lore dump, but it's like a gradual buildup over time rather than an afterthought. You know what I mean? Like the sequels don't well some of the sequels feel like afterthoughts let's be real with some of those they're, uh, no they're great something. start to finish <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second <laughs> but yeah anyway the other thing yeah. that oh, i was gonna say i'm just i'm just looking at this uh we were just talking about the android scene and i was just looking at a video of it again and like uh, just when he first starts talking all the milk that's coming out of his mouth Ugh. yes it's like it's like a it's like a half a glass of milk <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Oh, it's so gross. It's and then so he has gnarly. like the weird, the like the cords coming out of his neck have like they look. Uh-huh. Have, like, I don't anal beads is like a terrible analogy, <laughs> but they like look like weird little bead things, and it's just like such a weird. You think he's a human, and then you see this very different mechanical in like inside of him, and it is very God, disarming. I, so we had we had a, a some vomit in my movie, and having uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. a. <laughs> Having to shoot with that is is like kind of a fun challenge because we didn't we obviously didn't have like the vomit guns on SNL or whatever we just had a bunch of oatmeal and so we would we would have, just give Jeff oatmeal before we shot and you have you have to you know call out to the person you have to be like all right I'm rolling Jeff you loaded <laughs> you have to be like you ready <laughs> you know because. Everybody's got to sync up and know when they're when they're going, and they they obviously can't talk to you. You know they can't be like, <laughs> right. like oh, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so imagine just having to shoot this and just this dude's head is clearly through a table or something, and having to you know before you before you roll, you have to put like you know a cup of milk in his mouth, <gasps> and then are you loaded with milk? Yeah, are you loaded, buddy. <laughs> You know what? This yeah. might be the reason why I don't like milk. Now that I'm thinking about yeah. it, I I don't I don't like milk whatsoever, and I haven't since I don't know. Sometime in being a kid, it would always turn my stomach at a certain point, and now I'm kind of wondering if this had something to do with it because it's because of this scene. Because I I do I do, and I have my entire life. Uh, combined this idea before before as an adult now I'm like noticing the sexual imagery in this film and I'm like okay this is obviously like kind of some seminal like fluid connection mm. here but as a kid my entire life I just associated it with milk and I'm wondering if this is why I don't drink milk anymore <laughs> I, I haven't I since would, I was a kid can we de- can we declare it as canon that you're terrified of milk because of this movie I think we should yes it is right, canon. this movie is the reason I still like milk See, because every time I every time I drink a glass of milk, I spit a little bit down my chin, Aww. and I pretend to be the I pretend to be the cyborg from Alien. That's how it's the only reason to drink milk, dude. It's actually disgusting, but if I get to pretend to be Ash from Alien, I mean, of all the Zach, if you drink, yeah. Zach, if you drink your milk, you can pretend to be Ash, the android from exactly. Alien. Okay, I'll, mom. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have strong bones and a wet smile. Be nice. <laughs> oh my All God. right, we're done. The is over. <laughs> um, okay, so 
Oh, that was good. Oh, my God. All right. Um, I wanted to talk about kind of the disposability of bodies in this film and how disposable the entire cast feels in this film. And it comes down mm-hmm. from like the, the faceless company and Ash's cold kind of uncaring attitude. And the idea that like, you know, crew is expendable that mother, the, the technology supercomputer from the future that takes up an entire room, um, you know, t- kind of the exposition dumps, but the scene that kind of brought it to mind was when after Kane is killed and they are doing his kind of funeral and Dallas, they're all standing out there and the bodies in the airlock. And they're like, does anyone want to say anything? No one does. And then he is sort of unceremoniously ejected into space. And it's, it's kind of, I almost laughed a little bit watching it time because the body just sort of like gets shot out of space and it's like (laughs) twisting around and it's so, it feels so disposable and it's the way the entire crew is, is, is seen through the eyes of both Ash and the Whaley Utani, the, the corporation. But it's, it's the body's wrapped up, right? It's mm-hmm. like a mummy, right? Mm-hmm. It would have been funnier if the limbs were just allowed to just go flying. <laughs> oh, there's, <laughs> a, a, kind of there's movie. a movie. There's a show where that's a, there's a comedy show where that happens, where they shoot oh, someone really? out and they get unwrapped and they're, their limbs fly. Anyway, it's I think t- I know what you're talking yes. about. My, my girlfriend watched that, I think. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it yes, anyway. <laughs> but anyway, um what were we talking about? Yeah, how how everybody's treated so emotionlessly. Yeah, definitely. Like it's it's a it's a but at the same time like all the characters are really well developed. You can't Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. it's kind of like Predator where you're like, "Oh, I got to know everybody." But uh so it's not it's not like a slasher in that sense where you're like, "Oh, we're just going to like kill a bunch of red shirts today." But um no, it's yeah, you're right though. It's it's got a I wonder if this might have been the first movie that that treated it like that, where it's where it's a slasher that's from like a cold, merciless corporation, you know? Yeah, well, that's actually a really interesting way to think about it, because it's like, you know, slashers are always like one dude with like or one creature. But here, if you think about the slasher, not just as the alien, but as the corporation itself, that actually is even more terrifying. And like the more. You know, that was in 1979, but that's still very relevant today to how, you know, corporations create these machines, these things that are meant to bring about very quick and cold human death, very unfeeling and very um, efficient, if you want to put it that way, because they want this as like, they call it, Ash calls it the perfect organism and Mm -hmm. like the, the corporation wants this perfect organism as a weapon so yeah i like I, that is an interesting idea of corporation as the slasher villain as well yeah it's such a such a good twist such a twist it is a twist <clears throat> what a twist one one thing that i did i did see or i did uh hear uh watching it this time is this was i watched it with headphones on there noise canceling and i was mm. sitting there watching the the new 4k restoration of it and this was the first time I picked I picked this up, but there is breathing that happens in this movie that is like part of the background, and it's yeah. it's it's like this. The entire ship is sort of taking a deep breath and then releasing it and taking a deep breath. It feels like the ship is alive even in moments where it's so quiet. And I, it, it's mostly noticeable if listeners, if you go go watch this movie, make sure you put on some good headphones. It's there's a scene towards the end where. Ripley is finally talking to mother and the, the breathing sort of picks up at the scene. And it's something that I noticed throughout the entirety of it. And then when Ash is killed and he's being talked to, there's a sort of like 
skittering mouth sound is as the best mm-hmm. way I can describe mm-hmm. it that is happening underneath <clears throat> the breathing sounds. And there's like the sound design of this movie, even when there's no score and Jerry Goldsmith's score is used very sparingly in this, in this film, much to his chagrin, I've found out doing some research, but um, the way that the sound is designed in this movie is actually quite unsettling. If you have the right, if you're listening to it the right way. Yeah. I, I do remember hearing like the clicks and stuff under the ash scene. I, I'm not, I don't know if I picked up on the breathing when, well, are you talking about breathing from the astronauts, like from their, sh- from their suits? No, it's like they're in the ship and it is part of the like background noise of like this. It, it's almost like this, like this sound that is, is almost constant. And there's like a moment where it sounds like someone is whispering unintelligently under the hum of machinery. There's like some weird human noises going on in the background of this film that don't tie into the actors on on screen that I noticed this first time. This is the first time I've ever noticed it. Good creepy details, but now you got to tell us about what what happened with the score. Well, so Jerry Goldsmith wrote this big long score, and uh, he discovered basically that Scott and his editor replaced a lot of his cues, chose a different song choice, basically took a couple of his themes and cut them up and put them throughout the entire film. Oh, damn! Yeah, and there's this interview with Goldsmith, uh, it was quoted from RogerEbert.com, but it was he told the Los Angeles reader that working on Alien was, quote, one of the most miserable experiences I've ever had in this profession. I was on the picture <laughs> for four months and I talked to you, Scott, Ridley Scott, three times. So there is definitely some animosity in this, which is interesting because he would go on to do uh, Legend and then that whole score was 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 thrown away and they went with a uh, Gosh, what was the band? They went with some band to do the score of that. But he had actually written a score for for Legend. So it's like it's it's weird to to, to think of it because Jerry Goldsmith, I think, is one of the one of the best underrated uh, composers that worked on horror films in like the 80s and the 90s. And mm-hmm. and this was his his most miserable experience in his career. That's that's so funny that it's just so funny to hear anybody uh <laughs> To, to hear anybody be like, that was actually the worst thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and you're like, oh, oops. in like an interview. Yeah, actually, that was the most miserable experience of my life. <laughs> and it's it's so weird because like uh, the score is so iconic. And, and I, uh-huh. I was I was particularly listening to it this time because I, had, I, had, I I remember when I first started watching this for the podcast, I was like, oh, I love the score. And I wanted to know if there was any interviews with Jerry Goldsmith about it. And then I saw that and I started realizing that. <laughs> His score is very sparingly used in this film, and it's it's unfortunate mm, because yeah. what you do here is so good. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it was too much. It might have been like Poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we went back and rewatched it, we'd be like, damn. I mean, that's a good way point. Way too much. <laughs> so going from like sound design to creature design, we should talk about the oh. actual alien. Just, just for a hot second, give a shout out to H.R. Giger's nasty ass artwork. <laughs> Geigers. Geigers? Geigers? Geiger. Geiger. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's iconic. I mean, you know, papers have been written on the, on the design. It's so, it's, it's such a, I don't know. It's such an interesting mix of, of, well, I guess what Geiger does best of combining like sexuality and like machinery and, and horrific images. Yeah, and so he's a nineteen he's an artist from nineteen forty. For those unfamiliar, you should look up his art. Um, it is it's literally everything from Alien. It's just a a Giger painting, a piece of his work. It's just like everything, all of the set design and certain parts of like 
when they're on the planet and the sh- and the ship looks just like that. The alien itself is very much shaped like that with a very like phallic head. And then as we get into later in the series, like very sexual designs of both of the mother giant xenomorph and his art is just very detailed and very industrial i always think of his work as industrial so it's Mm -hmm. this marriage of organic and industrial stuff coming together and it's very jarring creepy pieces of art i want to go to his museum (laughs) does he have one is it in there is a museum in switzerland i was gonna say is it in switzerland Mm mm-hmm yeah. I did not know about this. I remember my uh, my roommate in college when I was in film school, he had like a, a book of all of H.R. Geiger's stuff. It was so cool. And now I'm actually Googling this stuff again, and it's pretty, pretty, this is, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's gnarly. It's like so cool. It's, it's so cool, but it's so gnarly. Like, this and one it's so with funny like the see... alien woman and the space jockey on top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. 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 Also, he also designed the the microphone for for the lead singer Corn. <laughs> no oh, yeah. shit! Yeah, the microphone that, that Jonathan Davis sings into um, when he goes on on, on concert tours is is designed by H.R. Giger. Oh wow! Yep. But then, besides just like the the Giger art style, there's also the concept of the creature as an alien, but an alien. Like we talked about, you talked about Terry, not the alien that we're used to with like the the grays, the big eyes, or like some kind of humanoid intelligence, but a apex predator that penetrates you without consent with the, with in the egg or with I mean, their little mm-hmm. mouths. It sort of takes the idea of the sort of like probing that was so popular in the seventies yes. and takes it in a different a different direction, but still like is like. An analogy for 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 rape, for lack of a better word. I mean, that's what it's doing. Yeah, and it exactly like you know the pro people would always say like, oh, I was anally probed, and like it always was like almost a joke with talks about aliens and like the forties and everything. But then with this, it is very much like it is happening. There is no hiding it. And it is very violent and very much confrontational. And it's very much in the face of that idea of the alien invading the human body in a much more violent parasitic way. Yeah, exactly. Cause you, you definitely die and you, you're definitely yeah. miserable. <laughs> like, and you are just a host. You're not like an, ex- you're not like a vessel for experiments or information. Like you are just a host for an, for incubating this. And then you're done. Like you are again with the disposability of bodies, you are disposable to this creature. You are not food. You are a vessel. And once you are, you know, you've, your usefulness has been run out, then you're, then you're dead and you're left on the ground. It's just like a pile of flesh. Yeah. That's it'd it. probably be much nicer to be eaten. I mean, I think I mean, so too. I think I would rather be eaten than be like forcibly impregnated with a horrific bug-like looking alien creature. I mean, honestly, Brett gets, I think, of the people that die, he gets it the, the best because he just basically gets his head like exploded into by the little mouth. I mean, that was prob- probably instantaneous. I Compared to like some of the other things that happened in this, that would probably be the better way to go than what happens to poor Kane. Yeah. I just can't imagine being alive while having that thing growing inside of you. I just, 
I would drop. Oh, and I don't, and you know, obviously when I describe it like that, it sounds like pregnancy and pregnancy is a terrifying concept to me <laughs> in general. And this movie did not help me feel any better about the yeah, concept of no. pregnancy because now all I ever think about is an alien inside of you about to just fucking burst <laughs> out. Oh, but like, my, girl, just... my girlfriend still calls babies parasites. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Cause she's not, she just, anyway, she's learned some manners, but she, she just says, well, I mean like, <laughs> nah. she says this like to parents and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh. They kind of are parasitic. <laughs> yeah. They are. They are parasites. It's just not socially acceptable to call them that, I guess. Mm, but, I still but, probably it. learn where the line is at least, you know, <laughs> eh, I guess. Okay, so before we do wrap up, I do want to know, what is everyone's favorite and least favorite alien movie? Ooh. Well, obviously the, the favorite is Alien. It's got to be Alien. Yeah, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm do, we count the Prome- so- do we count? Oh, yeah. Prometheus, okay. Alien Covenant. Prometheus, all of those? Okay. Alien versus Predator, okay. are we doing that? Uh, <laughs> you don't I don't have to. consider those canon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Mary Beth. No, yeah, don't apologize. I, I, they're not good. I just like them because I was a stupid child. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, the first one's fun, but... I don't think I've seen Alien Covenant, though. No, I haven't seen that one. I need to check that out. I honestly Is it good or can't not? remember. I really liked it. Although really? it uses like an egregious amount of CG for the alien. It's um, That's the thing that like... Uh, I feel like alien movies feel representative of the times that they come out. So you had alien at the, the sort of like heyday of sort of the slasher and the classic horror film. And then aliens feels like the quintessential eighties action horror film that was, that was coming out at the time. Alien three definitely takes on the sort of nihilistic industrial grunge sort of aesthetic of like the nineties. And then you get to like the sort of weird era of the late nineties with alien resurrection and Mm -hmm. Prometheus feels like that sort of time when we're trying to make big science fiction movies about something. And then covenant (laughs) feels like sort of like the blockbuster movie that, that, is coming out at a time of like superheroes and that kind of stuff. So, I mean, it definitely feels larger than life compared to the other ones. And it's trying to do some interesting things. Um, but I do think that each movie feels indicative of the era that they were released in, in a, in such a yeah quintessential way. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you, uh, you broke them all down to size. <laughs> you knew, you knew <laughs> I exactly think about where this they a lot. This is, this is my favorite franchise of, of any of the horror franchises. I, every single movie, even Alien Resurrection, I can find something good about that I like or that I think is interesting. I, I do love this, this franchise more so than any other one. It's such a strange, uh, when I was rewatching them again on HBO Max, it's such a strange, uh, success story. Because mm-hmm. it's not based on any book or anything, is it? It's not, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. Yeah, it just came Mm-mm. out of nowhere. These, the, him, yeah. the two creators have they made one movie before, right? Wasn't it called like Dark Star or something? Yeah, I think I, I think it was Dark Star. Yeah, and it was a comedy, right? I've never seen it. I have not seen it as well. I'm, we I'm should, not. We should check sure. this out because the trailer or the clip I saw online did not look very compelling. But I I kind of want to watch it just to see what it's about. But then yeah, they made alien and then it's become what well six real movies right six six alien movies and then alien versus predator and then like some video games and stuff and 
And also the directors attached to this thing and like some of the cast they get is really crazy. They had uh, uh, David Fincher did the third one yep. and then um, mm-hmm. the fourth one was the Amelie guy. And then, yeah, James Cameron. James Cameron did the second one. <laughs> this is how shit I am at names is I was like snapping my fingers talking to somebody about this like two weeks ago. And I was like. Yeah, and then the second one was Titanic guy, and <laughs> like, I was like, you know, the guy who did Titanic and then the blue people thing. Well, I gotta <laughs> say that at least like when they when they hire these directors, they are swinging for the fences. I mean, they even like even Resurrection has Jean Pierre. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Junette, mm-hmm. who would go on to do Amelie. Yeah, like I mean, wait, and, and he that- did Amelie. I didn't even make that connection that yeah. he did Amelie. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, all these the- all these people have gone on to do wild ass shit after Alien. Oh, he did Delicatessen. That's mm-hmm. a really yes. good movie. And didn't he do what was that- everything? Children he, he did of the city uh, of lost, the city the of lost, city lost, of lost children. children, which is the film that got him this this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, that like, makes sense. You hire these. You hire the director of the city of lost children and the person that would go on to do Amelie, and you get Alien Resurrection. I mean, let's be honest; that's the movie you're going to get. Mm-hmm, for sure. Okay, yeah. but like, I kind of love Alien Resurrection, not because it's good, because it's so fucking batshit. It really like, is. It is my least. It's my least favorite Alien movie. I was but I also pick really that as well. like. I love. It is my least favorite by a long shot, but I couldn't stop laughing when she was like petting. The human xenomorph hybrid at the end, like, yeah. and I watched that recently because I didn't want to watch. I just, like didn't see the benefit in watching it. And during the COVID, my fiance was like, "Hey, let's watch an alien movie." He's like, "Yeah, I haven't seen the Resurrection." He's like, "Oh, let's watch Resurrection." And I was watching it, and I was like, "Okay, Winona Ryder is in this. Okay, what is happening?" And every step of the way, I was just yelling at the TV because I had no idea what was happening. Like, I didn't look. I didn't get spoiled on it. And then at the end, I was like, "What is this creature?" And now it's like my all-time favorite, like dumbest thing a movie has ever done, and I love it so much. It's so terrible because I I do like Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Like I don't think those are bad prequels. Like I I liked Prometheus Prometheus quite Prometheus. a bit. So I liked Prometheus. I think I it's really I haven't good. checked out Covenant. But I need to. I need to get. Let me still yeah. load up my HBO Max right now. <laughs> but yeah, Resur- Alien is my favorite. Resurrection yeah, Alien, is my least favorite. Alien's like the best, or at least when I was going back and rewatching him, I was like, Alien's the best one. Aliens has some really awesome, like memorable scenes. You know, like we like we were talking about the the person begging to die that's like stuck to the wall. Uh, the seeing the Game queen. Over, man. Game over. I mean, it's iconic in its own right, really. Exactly. But then, but yeah, as far as like the, the vibe or the tension all the way through, there's not a, like a ton. It's not nearly as tense as just dealing with one alien on the ship. No, exactly. It's, it is again, like one is a horror movie, two is an action movie. And like, Mm -hmm. it sometimes in my head feels hard to compare them almost. Like obviously same character, same universe, same creature, but they just feel so stylistically different. It mm-hmm. sometimes in yeah. my head is hard to like pick one that's better than the other just because they're coming out the material from two from two very different angles. Well, and, and the sequel is sort of uh. what James Cameron did in the eighties too, right? Where like Terminator was a slasher, and then he goes and does Terminator Two, which is this big <gasps> oh yeah Gonzo action movie, and that's kind of what happens with with Alien and Aliens. I mean, yeah, he didn't direct the first Alien, but he oh. takes and he's like, I'm going to make it into a big blockbuster action movie. Yeah, we're going to sell some toys. Mm, oh my god i bought 
all of the alien toys when I was yeah. a kid. Uh, I loved those oh, things. Oh my god! Do you still have them? I don't, unfortunately. My parents threw them away. Oh, Dude, we had some rude. of those too. Yeah. Isn't it funny to think about the toys you had as a kid and you throw them away and then you're like, wait, fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unlike mm-hmm. Beanie, Be- unlike unlike Beanie Babies, who I have ho- I hoarded those and they are <laughs> worth literally nothing and still sit in my childhood bedroom. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I was not the kind of kid to, like, take care of my collectibles. So if I did have the Alien uh, Queen, it would just be beat up. That's true. I think I was the same way. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't but know what it was. It's cool to own them still. Exactly. Just have them. Um, well, so do we want to wrap up and give this a rating out of out of five, guys? Sounds good. All right. So, Terry, how many milky androids out of five? <laughs> how many seminally milky androids oh. out of five? Do you give alien? <laughs> <sighs> I keep Gross. saying the word milk and feel a little bit nauseous <laughs> now, so I might now have an aversion to milk. Uh, it'll be Ugh. canon for you now, too. Um, Ugh, what a gross <laughs> word. Ugh, it really is. Hey, what do you think about it? I mean, yes, if you say words all like constantly, it sort of starts to lose meaning. But like milk, milk, it just... <laughs> It sounds milk. it sounds gross. <laughs> okay, we have to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm not going to beat around the bush. This movie is a five out of five for me. It is, it, it is consistently one of my favorite movies of all time. It is, it will always be on. I mean, I I, I got to look if it's on my letterbox now. It's my favorite movie, but it is almost always my one of my going to be in my top four of all movies. And partly it's because of the way that it sort of opened me up to horror in a way. I consider this movie in the nightmare on Elm street, my sort of kind of gateway into like modern slash adult horror. And this, I think this film tackles interesting subtext. It tackles interesting themes. It's intense. It's scary. It does something that is iconic. It does something that had never been done before. I just, this movie is perfect for me. It is a five milky androids out of five today yesterday always and forever this is one of my favorite movies what about you mary beth i agree with you on all accounts here it's a five milky androids out of five this is an all-timer for all of the reasons you said and every time i watch this movie i've seen it so many times at this point but there's always it's always fun I never will get tired of it. There's always something new to see on the screen or something to hear or something to understand about the world. You know, this, this Ridley Scott creates such like a deep thing with this movie from the characters to the world, to the monster, to just everything about it. And it is just like a, an amazing cinematic experience that I am always happy to share with somebody either for the first time or for the millionth time. And it's just always like watching it for the first time. Hell yeah. So, okay. We've got two fives right now. Zach, how many milky androids out of five do you give alien? You have the two out of five. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, (laughs) All right. No, this thing, I I agree with you guys. Five out of five. Yeah. What if I was just like two out of five? I brought you guys a big turd. I just want to talk about it. Uh, No, no, no. Five out of five. We've had those before, but this is not a turd. If anyone called alien a turd, I'd kick them out. (laughs) This, This movie like really has held up and it is one that is like a surprising, surprisingly modern, like when you revisit it, you know, it, it, looks amazing too for being shot when it was in the 70s mm. it, it it is one of those Seriously. yeah when when you look at the release date you're like oh those came out like 85 or something you know like or at least you know when you're younger you do stuff like, anyway uh, but like yeah exactly you, yeah you don't you don't realize like how much more ahead of the game this thing was mm-hmm. and how 
it's it's got so many like classic uh elements to it like that just so such it's it's such an american classic like all the all the things we've talked about all different scenes that are like the chestbursters are like an american icon now you know what mm-hmm. i mean they're like something like a exactly. classic thing that people reference and it's yeah i, I like i said just five out of five this thing kicks ass <laughs> Hell yeah, I couldn't say better myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a man of very sophisticated words. I would say this thing, this thing kicks yeah, ass, my- rocks cocks, and. Uh- In my critical opinion, this movie fucks. <laughs> <laughs> fucks heavy. This movie fucks heavy. That's how I'm going to describe this yeah. from now on. Um, Hell yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Zach, for joining us to <laughs> yeah. talk about Alien. Where thank can you listeners, for having me. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have that you'd like to, to share? Oh, uh, man. So check out my movie, uh, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. Number one will blow your mind. Just search it uh, and find the trailer. And if you like it, then check it out. Let me see. We, we have like a, a website. <laughs> I should probably know what this is. But uh, what's the yeah, website? Probably. Cranked up films is our is our uh, distributor. Also, to uh, self to selflessly plug both me and Terry, we both wrote reviews about it on Gaily Dreadful and Daily Grindhouse, and both loved it. So, if you want to give us some clicks too and read our articles, <laughs> yes, you, you guys have championed my movie from the beginning. So, thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, I would thank just you say for making a good movie about Bigfoot. Thank you. Thanks for watching the damn thing. <laughs> I really didn't think anybody was going to watch it. It was a pleasant surprise coming out of Chattanooga. I, I you know, you, you never know what you're going to watch. And I'm like, Vice Guide to Bigfoot, what is this going to be? And I, yeah, I, I loved I was it from the so very fucking, beginning. I was so fucking excited. <laughs> I saw Bigfoot and found footage and I was like, I uh, yeah. am in my element. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, yeah, so just, yeah. just Google, Google my movie, 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. And uh, man, I'm on like Twitter, but it's just like my personal account. I'm Secret Grandpa. <laughs> like people ask me they're like where can they find you and i'm like i'm pimp pirate on instagram i don't fucking know if you just want to see photos of me like hiking there's some good hiking photos for sure yeah exactly yeah um yeah so thanks for having me and thanks for letting me plug my movie oh yeah we're very excited to let you plug your movie um all right. So everyone, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with Alien and what is your favorite Alien movie? Send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. <laughs>